You're listening to the Doxology and Theology Podcast, where we promote, encourage, and equip gospel-centered worship. For more information, visit us at doxologyandtheology.com. Father, thank you that we uh, are here and we have this opportunity to be together and to learn about how to serve your people more effectively so that you might receive the glory through Jesus that you deserve. Uh, We know that songs are a gift and uh, they can be used for, for good or ill in our churches. We want to use them for good. We We pray that you would uh, use what we talk about here to uh, both encourage and equip each one of us uh, to do what we do more effectively um, and with more joy. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so this is a part of the first five years track. Did, Did most of you, who went to the first five years track? Is anybody following that? Okay, that's what I thought might be happening. Um, so yeah, there's a five years, so the first five years of a church plant, um, or, or as a leader, I guess. Uh, it was hard to limit it to that. I'll be saying some stuff that relates to that. My general goal is to answer this question, what principles should guide us as we select songs to sing in our congregational gatherings, especially during the first five years. So that's, that's why that's there. Um, three ways to look at choosing songs, a single song, a Sunday meeting, a church diet. We're going to talk about all three. Here's the great thing. More songs are available to us than any time in history. I mean, I've lived through this. Like, I haven't lived at the time when the only songs available were in hymnals, pretty much. Um, it had to be written in a book. And this was going back really to you know, the end of the 19th century, as publishing became more part of church music, you could choose other hymns. So people were putting out their own hymnals. But, you know, for a long time, if you were Presbyterian, your, the songs you sang in your church were approved by Presbyterian Church. If you were Baptist, songs you sang were approved by Baptist. Well, now you can get them anywhere. Uh, and you can get them right away. And you can get the lyrics right away. You can get the chord charts right away. You can get, you just get, get accompaniment tracks right away. You just get everything. Uh, so that's a great thing which we, for which we can be grateful for. And it also means that we just don't have to do whatever song shows up. So uh, I put f- songs in four categories. Songs you don't ever want to use. Those would be the first ones. You hear it, you go, I'll never use that. Songs that you could use privately. So, uh, you know, uh, there are some songs where like one line is just really not good. So I wouldn't lead that song, but I could benefit from it privately. Or songs that I don't really listen to the words on, you know, worship songs, but I like the the musical style, I can listen to those privately. I wouldn't lead them publicly. Then there's songs that you could use, which, you know, there are a ton of those. There are a ton of songs that, that's a pretty good song. And then there are songs that you should use. And I'm going to encourage us to like really focus on that fourth category. (laughs) Because whatever you don't um, do, whatever songs you do that aren't in that category, you got to be asking yourself, is there a song that is in that category that I should be should be doing? That'd be a song like In Christ Alone. Like you hear that song, you go, oh, Um, two years ago, we introduced His Mercy is More. I thought, that's a song I want to use. A song by David Ward and Eric Schumacher called Not In Me. It's a, the, the confession song of a Pharisee. I think that's a song I should use. So those would be the four categories. Now, in, in going through this, these are guidelines. There is no, you know, just like there's no perfect liturgy, there's no perfect way of choosing a song. And you've got to go with your own conscience. You've got to go with, go with your own pastoral leadership. I mean, there are a lot of factors. You've got to go with your congregation. There are a lot of factors that affect the songs we choose. So just, just apply these to your situation. Uh, so first, th- this is going to be eight things you should know. So the first one is know why not to choose a song. One, this song always ministers to me. Who cares? 
I mean, you're not standing up in front of people playing the songs that you just are really blessed by. That would be uh, choosing songs by personal preference. Great beat really gets people engaged. Worship is not about getting people to respond to a beat. There are outlines over here. Um, so that would just be a misunderstanding of what corporate worship is. A lot of people in my church like this song. Well, if you want to choose your songs by popular opinion, then that's, that's a great reason to choose a song. But you shouldn't be choosing your songs by popular opinion. My favorite worship artist just released this song, and everybody's doing it. That would be celebrity worship. Uh, I can play it without having to check my chord book. That would be laziness. Um, you, you don't want your song choices to be dictated by your musical limitations. Understanding that, yeah, there are some songs that are just going to be out of reach. You want to work then to make those songs within reach. Um, it's in the CCLI Top 100. There are some great songs in the CCLI Top 100. But two things, not all of them are great. And two, just because a lot of churches are doing it doesn't mean that my church should do it doesn't mean that it's the right season for my church. doesn't mean it's the right song for my congregation. It's just not a surefire thing that because a song has, is in the top 100 CCLI that, well, there you go. No, nothing else to say. Uh, of course we should do it. Well, no, you shouldn't. That would just be a lack of discerning care. Um, uh, I wrote it. <laughs> I mean, it's okay to do songs you wrote. I do it all the time. Um, but if you're doing it like without asking anybody and just kind of forcing it on your church, that's just self-promotion. That's something totally different. Um, it's in the same key as the other songs we're doing. Mm, never use key as the ultimate determiner of why you should do a song. For one, you can change keys of songs. Uh, but it's just not, it's not a, a, the ultimate arbiter the decision maker as to why you should choose a song. So those are 10 reasons, or not 10, a number of reasons why not to choose a song. Number two, know your goals. What, what are we aiming at? What are we seeking to do? And this is kind of like the theological framework that we need to have in place before we go choosing songs. Uh, and this is something we're always growing in, in terms of our awareness and discernment. First, remember, our goal is to remember, proclaim, and celebrate God's worthiness, works, and word. That's, that's what our songs should be doing. And we get that from the Psalms. I'll just give you a few illustrations here, a few examples. Uh, Psalm 145, 6 and 7 says, They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. That's God's works and his worthiness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. So th that's what we're doing. We're singing aloud of his mighty deeds, his righteousness, his steadfast love. Psalm 105 verse 2, sing to him, sing praises to him. What are you doing? Tell of all his wondrous works. So that's, that's what our aim is. Now, a scripture I didn't write down there was uh, Psalm 119, 172. My tongue will sing of your word, for all your commandments are right. Um, this past year, in preparation for a message I did on the Psalms, I went through, I read through all the Psalms and wrote down in the column where the psalmist referred to God's word, God's worthiness, and God's works. And it was pretty much like 95% of the Psalms uh, speak to those things, in either directly or by reference. So that's what our song should be doing. That's the first goal. Second goal, to inform minds with gospel truth, move hearts with gospel implications, and motivate lives worthy of the gospel. Where do I get that from? Colossians 3, 16 and 17. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. The word of Christ is the gospel. It's the good news about Jesus, to which the whole word of God points. So if we're singing songs that don't 
inform minds with gospel truth, move hearts with gospel implications like security, forgiveness, holiness, uh, purity, love, and, and motivate lives worthy of the gospel, the word of Christ isn't dwelling in people richly. It's dwelling in them in a surface kind of way. So when is that supposed to happen, that we're letting the word of Christ dwell in people richly? It's when we, we're teaching and admonishing one another, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in our hearts to God. That's when that happens. So, so that's another goal, to get the gospel into people, not just, not just like they hear it, but they're moved by it, they're affected by it. Um, three, to be scripturally faithful, not innovative. Uh, you know, this whole conference is about the word of God and uh, how it affects what we do. So our songs should, of course, be filled with biblical truth, um, truths from the word of God that, that we're just rephrasing or maybe sometimes verbatim. Um, our songs should contain biblical proportions. So there are verses in the Psalms, for instance, and these are the Psalms as, as our, our basis because it's God's hymnal. It's, you know, God's telling us, this is how I want you to like sing to me, pray to me, relate to me. It's, that's all, all Psalms is. And um, so biblical proportions. So while there are Psalms in, uh, verses in Psalms that talk about our longing for God, our hungering for God, uh, those wouldn't make up the bulk of Psalms. So if our songs do that, mostly, then it's out of proportion. Does that make sense? Biblical proportionality. Um, and biblical attitudes. Uh, yeah, you've heard about, you know, Jesus is my girlfriend songs or Jesus is my boyfriend songs. Um, we can, our songs can do air in one of two ways. They can approach God t in a way that's too flippant, uh, too um, friendly, I'd say, too commonly. Or they can make it seem like, like we can't get near to God at all. So we want to avoid those two extremes. And this is a prayer from the Valley of Vision, I think, does captures the right attitude. Oh, Father of Jesus, help me to approach you with deepest reverence, not with presumption. And then he flips it over. Not with servile fear, but with holy boldness. You are beyond the grasp of my understanding, but not beyond that of my love. Just love that. It just, it, it keeps everything in healthy tension, you know, where it's supposed to be. Biblical clarity. Our, our songs should be biblically clear. Um, I had a friend of mine who said, uh, the, the gospel brings us out of darkness into light. Our songs shouldn't reverse that process, bringing us from light into darkness. Kind of, what does that mean? I mean, sometimes I'm singing songs, being led, and I, I'm thinking, what am I supposed to be thinking right now? Like, I'm not sure like, these lines are thrown together, and I, I just, that's not biblical clarity. Um, biblical weight would just be speaking to um, that, that we see through our songs that we really value the Word of God more than our songs. Uh, you know, one of the ways to do that is to surround your songs with Scripture. Another way to do it is to use songs with, with a lot of Bible in them. All right, so scripturally faithful and innovative. A fourth goal in our singing, choosing songs, is to equip and encourage people in their battles against sin, suffering, self-sufficiency, and self-deception. Those are four categories that the Psalms are regularly addressing. Uh, they're not just expressions of praise. Praise the Lord. I love him. Praise the Lord. Now you have that in there, but a lot of it's about struggles. It's like, God, where are you? God, what's happening to me? God, my enemies are opposing me. God, I'm, I'm suffering in this way. God, I'm dealing with my sin. Well, our songs should help people deal with those things. They should give them words that they can say that mean something. So when we, we sang that song uh, this morning, um, you know, my song 
when enemies surround me, my hope when tides of sorrow rise, my joy when trials are abounding, your faithfulness, my refuge in the night. That's what I'm trying to do for people, is to give them hope in the midst of what they're going through, whatever it might be. Enemies, battles, you know. So we, we need our songs that like help people do that. So that's another goal. Leading songs is a pastoral function before it's a musical one. I think I have that in your outline. No, I don't. Um, we're not aiming simply to move people emotionally. We, we're, we're, we want to, to give them shepherding care for their souls through the songs we're singing. We're not simply uh, trying to have a good performance. We're not... Uh, trying to give people a satisfying emotional experience personally. We are equipping them for the fight. The fight against sin, the fight against suffering, the fight against self-sufficiency, the fight against self-deception. And then a fifth goal, and I thought I should throw this in there because it's so obvious it can be overlooked, is to ha- choose songs so you can have a congregation that actually sings. Like, it's not just about picking songs that you think, these are great songs. And then someone comes into your service and like only half the people are singing. That's not a great song. Or you're not leading very well. Could be one or the other. And when I say, uh, you know, to have a congregation that actually sings, there are three guidelines to that. Sing songs that people can sing. Like uh, in terms of the range. And when people ask me what, what's a good range for a song, I'd say between A and a D. You know, for the men, it's, it's an octave and below middle C and down the next to the A and the D right above middle C. And for women, it's just an octave above, but we all sing in unison. Um, and with that, you have, to, you have to take into account the tessitura, which is where the song basically hangs. Um, now, when songs are, have a range that's wider than an octave and a fourth, you've got to make a decision. You could do that from G to D. You could do it from A to E, A flat to E flat. You could do it from A to E, B flat to F. Uh, I, I don't think I'll ever lead a song where I'm asking the congregation to sing an F, ever. Uh, because if you're a lady, you just don't, you sound horrible up there. I mean, unless you're a soprano. And I've had ladies tell me this, so it's not like my, my judgment call. Um, and it's just really hard. And a lot of guys don't like to sing up there. And so, yeah, if, you're, if your congregation's like early 20s, everybody will be like yelling it out and it'd be great. But the church is, is multi-generational. And so we, we want songs that people actually can sing. Uh, a part of that would be, you know, how easy is a song to learn? Um, again, as musicians, sometimes we like really creative songs and, you know, oh, I love that. And, but your congregation is not looking for like creative songs. Uh, and I can tell you for sure the older people aren't. Uh, but some of the younger people aren't either. Um, a song that, songs that avoid unex- a lot of unexpected twists and turns, you know, where it's just like, or rhythmic, you know, un- unexpected rhythmic turn. Just, just choose songs that people can sing, which leads to singing songs that people want to sing, which means that people actually like singing. Um, when I first started studying uh, like congregation worship about 21 years ago in earnest, I started reading books where the guys you know, were talking about how much we, you know, we sing to please God, not ourselves, and how this is for God's glory, not ours, and for His joy. And they almost made it sound like if you like the song you're singing, God hates it. Because... Because, <laughs> I mean, that's what it felt like. Are you kidding? Can I enjoy the songs? Yeah, there is an overlap where we can lead songs, choose songs that people actually enjoy singing and they're glorifying to God. So good melodies, melodies that people like to sing, um, melodies that move people, melodies where they, the uh, melodies match the mood of the lyrics. So there's a, there's a connection there. Um, so sing songs that people want to sing. I mean, you can tell the difference. You know, you hear a song the first time, you go, I could sing that, and, and I want to sing that. You know, there's some songs that as soon as I hear them, I go, I want to sing that again. I want to get that song in me. And there are other songs where you hear them the first time, you go, 
I'm not even sure I could remember one part of that. That's not a good sign. Um, yeah, it's not a good sign. And then thirdly, sing songs people should sing. And the songs that people should sing are the ones that we covered in points A, B, and C, and D above. So, so you want to choose songs that people are actually going to sing. Number three, know your sources. Uh, good hymnals. I, in my elder years, am, am realizing that, wow, when we lose the hymnal, we lose, we do lose something. Um, you know, we, we've been sans hymnals since the 60s. 60s. It's been this, you know, driving, increasing force where, uh, you know, most, how many, of you, how many of you guys use hymnals in your church? There you go. One, okay, two, and close, kind of, okay. That's my point. Um, yeah, hymnals are songs that have been tested sometimes over centuries. Not every hymnal is a good hymnal. Um, you know, hymns of grace is good. Trinity hymnal is good. Um, I mean, I'm just talking about largely speaking. There's a hymn over in England called Grace Hymns, which is fantastic. Um, but yeah, just hymnals give us songs that have been like tested through through centuries. And why would we want to just ditch all those? Uh, is there something we're missing? Uh, so hymnals is a good place. Uh, SovereignGraceMusic.org. Just thought I'd throw that in there. Um, where we provide all our lead sheets and chord charts and piano scores for free because we want to serve churches. GettyMusic.com. Um, iGraceMusic.com is uh, Indelible Grace. They do some great stuff. Psalters. I just, I'm starting to um, delve more into that realm. One of the problems with Psalters is uh, they'll often not appreciate the connection between a melody and a lyric. Like one of the reasons that, that uh, we remember melodies and lyrics together is because the melodies are so conducive, they're so complementary to the lyric. Well, the way Psalters are often put together is, you know, you have a versified psalm, which could be talking about how much you love the Lord or how you want to see babies bashed against the rocks, you know, kind of all in the same song. And then you're just singing the same melody. And it just, it just doesn't connect. Uh, so anyway, but Psalters can be a source, and I gave you two right there that I think are pretty good. Individual churches and ministries, um, City of Light, a group from Australia, great group of people, Passion, Hillsong, um, the, the local churches, park churches put out some stuff um, in Denver. Um, yeah, just various people. Worshiptogether.com has everything. Just, they're always putting out stuff. Um, and then writers in your church. So th th we just have a slew of places where we can get stuff from. Number four is this, know your lyrics. So, talking about choosing songs, now we're getting to the, more to the heart of what we're talking about. Um, to care for people's souls specifically, we have to move beyond thinking of songs in simply musical or stylistic terms. So, it can't just be, well, here's, you know, my so our songs are slow, medium, and fast. You know, or, our, you know, we got praise songs, we got worship songs. Or we got traditional songs, we got hymns, we got choruses. We've got traditional, we've got contemporary. We've got to move beyond that. Um, you know, think if you would, uh, categorize sermons that way. Yeah, I like that guy, but like his sermons are really fast. Yeah, no, this guy, he's got, he's slow. I really like, sometimes I like to listen to the fast guy first and then the slow guy second. Because it's just, it's ridiculous. Um, the, the sermons have content. They, they say something. They're meant to say something. So do our songs. Our songs have content. If the primary way, I tweeted this recently, if the primary way I categorize the songs I lead on Sunday is tempo and key, I'm neglecting the most important way the Spirit works in our hearts, which is through the word of Christ communicated through the lyrics. So it, tempo and key are important. Key is important because of the range. Uh, tempo is important because uh, you know, if you do a song too slow, people become more aware of the slowness than what they're singing. If you do a tong song too fast, people can't take in what they're actually singing. And a lot of younger leaders tend to think that I will create energy by doing this song faster. And what they're doing is, is teaching people, training people to be more 
motivated by music than the other words. So, so they're important. They're just not ultimately important. I think I include this quote from uh, Doug Moo. Worship of God should always involve the emotions. How can we praise a holy God who has redeemed us without getting emotional about it? But what should move our emotions is not the sonorous tones of the organ or the insistent beat of the drums, but the mind's apprehension of truth about God. So we have to know what our songs are saying. In order to do that, we need to, or one of the things that's going to result from that is knowing what distinguishes songs on certain themes. So I'm going to give you some examples of that. We might say, yeah, I need a praise song to start the, the, the meeting off. You know, we want something like up-tempo. All right, well, great. What's it going to say? Like, it's going to say something. So I listed three here. Everlasting God. You know the Benton Brown, Brenton Brown song? You are the everlasting God, the everlasting God. Um, it's basic messages that God reigns for eternity and he's going to strengthen us. That's the message. God, you know, you are the everlasting God. Don't, don't go weary. You're the defender of the weak. Help for those in need. What's comfort those in need? I can never remember lyrics when I'm teaching. I should write them down, but then my notes would be so long. Um, um, yeah, so that's, okay, so God's going to strengthen you. He's going to comfort you. That's the song. Now you look at the song like 10,000 Reasons, and we start to expand. You're rich in love. You're slow to anger. Your name is great. Your heart is kind. You are good. So there's just more categories to describe God. And then you look at a song like, How Great Thou Art, and we praise God for the fact that he's the creator. We praise God for the fact that he's powerful. We praise God for the fact that he gave his son to bear our sins on the cross. We praise God that Christ will return. There's a lot more specificity to who God is. It's tied into historical events, and it's tied into things that God actually accomplished through Jesus in our lives. Do you, see, do you see the difference between just kind of a broader, not saying that any one of these songs is worse than the other. I'm just saying that we need to know there is a difference between these songs. Apart from, yeah, Everlasting God's kind of medium, you know, 10,000 Reasons, that's kind of slow. We can do a little faster and How Great the Art, that's, that's like really slow. Although Paul Balash has a great rendition of it, um, which is more kind of medium, up-tempo. We got to think beyond that. Your church does not need to come in and hear some peppy song to be motivated to worship God. It's okay if there's an up-tempo you know, song, but, but they don't need it. What they need is to apprehend truth about God. So if we don't know what's in that song, we don't even, we, we're not even going to be sensitive to it. Like That's what we're trying to link them into. Uh, another category, the cross. So we got, when I survey the wondrous cross, you know, you might, maybe your pastor doing Sears on Romans, Sears on Romans, you think, okay, I need a, you know, we need, to, we need some cross songs, you know, because Romans talks all about the cross. He's Romans 3, gosh, we need songs about the cross. All right. When I survey, well, surely that's a song about the cross. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died. Oh, that's a good one. Well, here's what the, when I survey says. It's, it's a song about devotion. You know, we're devoted to God. We want to devote our lives to him, fleeing the world and pride. Sadness over what Jesus did. But it, it doesn't say anything about what the cross actually accomplished. It's just a response. I mean, it's a beautiful response. I mean, some people say it's the greatest hymn in the English language. So I'm not knocking when I survey the one's cross. Isaac Wass is my like historical hero. But in terms of like what the song actually contains, when I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and poor contempt on all my pride. Uh, forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my God. Uh, all the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to his blood. I think that's the verse three. See from his hands, his head, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did dare such love and sorrow meet or thorns compose so rich a crown? No. Okay, uh, were the whole realm of nature mine, that were an offering far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. It's just a song of devotion. You're beholding the cross, and you want to you forsake your pride 
and, and lay your life down. Look at Amazing Grace, you know, gospel song, Amazing Grace, so sweet the song that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. That song actually doesn't even mention the cross. Although John Newton wrote some great songs on the cross, that particular one doesn't mention the cross at all. Now contrast that with before the throne of God above. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. My name is written on his hands. My name is graven on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me thence depart. All right, good, good, good. So why, why is that so great? Well, when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, which there's a lot of there, upward I look and see him there who made an end of all my sin. Okay, that's good news. How'd that happen? Well, because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul was counted free. You're kidding. How, how could that possibly happen? Well, God the just was satisfied to look on him and pardon me. Oh, so he was your substitute. Yeah, that's exactly right. Behold him there, the risen lamb, my perfect spotless righteousness. Like his life made a difference. I get his righteousness credited to me. The great unchangeable I am, the king of glory and of grace, one with himself. I cannot die. My soul is purchased by his blood. I know that uh, my life is hid with Christ in, on high, with Christ, my Savior and my God. It's just so full of truth. Uh, same thing within Christ alone, you know, and on the cross as Jesus died. The wrath of God was satisfied. Same thing is true with man of sorrows. Now my debt is paid. It is paid in full by the precious blood that my Jesus spilled. Now the curse of sin has no hold on me. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And I don't care if Hillsong has some bad theology and there's some things that aren't so great about other songs. That is a great song. And it clearly articulates what Jesus did. So... So those are some songs about the cross are different. Sufferings and trials. Now, how do we encourage people? We talk about doing songs of lament. Blessed be your names was a great song. Talks about how in the good and bad times we can bless the Lord and how, you know, God can give or take away. Um, but then you have a song like My Hope is Built, which is really a song about suffering. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. Sounds like it's just about the righteousness of Christ as our acceptance before God. And the first verse does cover that. But the next two verses are, when darkness seems to hide his face, I rest on his unchanging grace. And every high and stormy veil, my anchor holds within the veil. It's about it's about suffering and, and what we're going through, trusting, receiving unchanging grace in the midst of confusing and stormy times. Um, and the foundation of our faith is Christ's covenant, his oath and his blood, which is if you do the cornerstone version, do that verse because it's so important. Um, you know, his oath, his covenant, his blood. Support me in the whelming flood. flood. Thank you. Uh, uh, yes, I just start writing songs when I'm quoting songs. It's just so unhelpful. Support me in the whelming flood. Um, Christ will return. We'll be clothed in his righteousness. I mean, all these things that we can think about as we're singing the song. And it's so great. And then in Christ alone. It's another song that deals with us, uh, how we're to deal with our trials. Um, you know, it has everything that we've talked about in the other two songs, plus the whole gospel story, plus no... Uh, no power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand. You know, from life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. That's the truth that's going to change people's lives. How aware are we, like, of the songs we sing, like what they say? So, you know, if you've led a song 10, 20 times, you know, and you might, you know what's in it. Well, hopefully you know what's in it. But here's my encouragement. If you don't know what's in it, find out what's in it. Like, if you're ever leading a song and you don't know exactly what it's about, just take the time to read it, meditate on it, reflect on it, because that will change the way you lead it. It might change whether you do it or not. You know, how about this song? You know, when we're, I'm with a group and we're, we're, we're uh, suggesting songs. Um, yeah, someone say, well, how about this song? Well, that, that could be a good song. And they might say it because of the name, the title. The title this, this would be, but then when you talk about what the song actually says, 
you realize that's really not, that really doesn't fit in here because we actually looked at what it said. So know what the songs say. Be aware that a changing, changing a musical arrangement or melody can affect what a song says. So, um, you know, Man of Sorrows, uh, you could start it very reflectively. Uh, you know, just meh, imagine a D and an A. Man, actually a C and a G. Man of Sorrows, Lamb of God. You know, just kind of, let's, let's think about this and let the song build over time. You can do uh, Fred Before the Throne of God Above, done very joyfully. Before the throne of God above, which I don't get, but it does change the, asp the, the way you think about it. Yes, this is amazing. I have a strong and perfect plea. And so, so the way you arrange a song can change how it impacts people. And we have to remember, too, that great songs with great lyrics can still be led poorly. So, so it's, I'm not going to get into that, but um, choosing songs is just a part of it. You, you have to lead those songs well. You have to lead people to think about what they're singing about. You have to help them. We're not just looking for some kind of mindless experience. We, we are having them feast on the truths of God's word in such a way that they can take them in, you know, um, you're not giving like 10 pound steaks to two year olds. You're, you're cutting it, slicing it in a way that people can receive the truths of the songs you're singing, but they're really engaging with them. That's, that's what we have to make sure we're doing with our leadership. All right, number five, know your starting points in choosing a song. What's already been decided? So, so now we're getting to a meeting. All right, that, all that stuff was about just mostly pick, picking a song, finding you know, what songs are worth singing so, so if, you know, if you read through the lyrics of a song, you hear a song, you go, oh, I love that, I love that. But then you read through the lyrics and you go, that's really not saying much. Don't do it. Oh, but the music's so great and people love it. And we'll get into more why you shouldn't do it, but I would say right now, just don't do it. Uh, know your starting points. What has already been decided? Maybe your pastor wants you to sing a specific song. Maybe uh, you follow a formal liturgy. Uh, maybe your skills or instrumentation are limited. So just things that even before you start, you go, okay, well, we've got to do this, or this, this is a limitation. Know what God has already been saying. So it might be that you're in a sermon series and your, your church is, like, ha is on this path of, of uh, you know, what the book is talking about. So that should be in your mind. We always, if you were in the planning session panel uh, earlier, uh, I mentioned that I always plan the initial songs off of the last week's message because people have already heard it. They know that they've you know, taken it in. And so I'll just take something from that as the, the uh, starting point for the call to worship and then build the songs from there. Um, what's the theme of this week's message? You might, you might build the songs around this week's message. Okay, that's a starting point. Um, I can't plan songs unless I know this stuff. You know, when someone says, uh, so for this conference, when some, uh, so you're leading Friday morning, um, I wanted to know what my starting points were. Uh, so I asked, what is the message Thursday night? Why Thursday night? Well, because everyone will have just heard that message and will come in Friday morning not knowing what the message is going to be. And we'll just be able to get to respond to that message from the night before. So I don't know if you noticed, like this morning, we were just building on what happened yesterday. Different things that people said uh, about, you know, how this is not our ability. This doesn't come from our, our success, success doesn't come from our power. Um, and then reading the word. That was all from yesterday. Well, I just took that as the starting point. Um, we're already there. Everybody's already there. Just made it a lot easier. Um, what, but, but. You might do it on the theme of this week's message. So say your pastor wants you to build the songs on this message that he's going to preach. Well, okay, you got to know that before you choose songs. I do pick a song for after the message, so I need to know what the sermon is before I pick that song. Um, and I just do my best. You know, I read the passage, try and think what would be an appropriate song, and sometimes you get it wrong, and then you change it. That's not a big deal. Um, what might be on everyone's mind? So three years ago, I think, uh, we had a dearly loved small group leader, husband, a dad of three, expecting four, die in a car accident on Thursday. 
Well, you just don't come into Sunday like you would normally planned. Uh, come on, somebody stand to our feet, whatever. Um, we built the whole service really around that, about the hope of the resurrection. We start off with great is thy faithfulness. Uh, we did a song, it is not death to die. God moves in a mysterious way. Uh, I mean, it just that became the, the theme of what we worked on, um, or what we did. An ongoing local or national issue. So I'm pretty sure that after 9-11, Every church on the Sunday after that Tuesday was, was uh, at least in America, was referencing in some way what had happened. Um, when I lived in Maryland, there was a sniper who was actually two who were going around just indiscriminately killing people at, at a craft store, at a gas station. So there was just fear gripped the, the area. And they weren't found for like three weeks. And so at one point during that, that time, I crafted the songs and the scriptures around fear. Uh, so that's, again, that's what's my starting point. That's, that's already there. Um, might be a holiday. Um, no, uh, another starting point might be a song you want to teach, song you want to repeat, song you want to bring back. Um, and one thing that's changed for me in the way I choose songs for a meeting is that one of my starting points is always what scripture is being used for the call to worship. So sometimes we use, you know, calls to worship that are just, uh, I would just say generic. Oh, oh, sing to the Lord a new song for he has done, done wondrous things. Let's lift our voices to the Lord. You know, and just we keep doing those. We have like four or five that we just keep going to. Sing, sing praises to our God, sing praises, sing praises to our King, sing praises. Let's lift our voices to the Lord. You know, just something that has a word sing in it and we're good. Um, but the, the helpful thought to remember is that God never tells us to sing to him or to praise him without giving us reasons. So if we're telling people just to sing without giving them reasons, we're really not doing it biblically. We want to give them reasons for why they're doing what they're doing. So that's what the call to worship is. It's, it's a clarifying of, you know, we could worship God for a lot of things. We could sing to him for a lot of things right now. We're going to focus on this right now. Um, so in, in our last... Uh, um, let me just see here. This Sunday coming up, our call to worship is every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. We're in a series on Exodus and there are constant references to, you know, God delivering his people, God rescuing his people through suffering. That's because Moses is, in the beginning, Moses is, you know, telling God why he can't do it. The people are suffering. They think God's harsh. And so there are a lot of those themes. So we're going from that into a rejoice, which is come and stand before your maker full of wonder, full of fear. But it, this has this verse that talks about suffering and how Jesus walks with us through that. Um, the week before, our call to worship was, now thus says Isaiah 43, 1 through 2, 1 and 2. Thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned. The flame shall not consume you. And we went from that into how firm a foundation, which is a song about, you know, God's word, how firm a foundation. You're saying to the Lord, is laid for your faith. And it's an excellent word. Well, but then it goes out to, to detail Isaiah 43. When through the deep waters I call you to go, the rivers of sorrow shall not overflow. So the call to worship becomes my starting point. Week before that, it was the Lord is my rock. Well, you get my point. All right. Uh, so know your starting point in terms of what scripture is being used for call to worship. Number six, know your progression. So this is where I think we, we uh, can often miss it, um, that there is to be a progression to our songs. It's a, it's a conversation. Throughout the history of the church, coherency and progression have been the norm. Like, things connect to each other. They're, they make sense, like, linearly. And if you don't know why your songs go together, don't expect the Holy Spirit to fill in the gaps, although he can. But just don't assume that. Um, years ago, I used to, to run listening to my sermons on my iPod. I still run, but I don't listen to sermons. Um, and at that time, sermons were broken up into five-minute segments. I don't know why we did that, but that was what we did. And um, sometimes I'd be listening to a sermon, and about 20 minutes in, I'd think, this guy is making no sense. And 
it just like sounds like he's like started in started in the middle and then it sounds like he ended and then like he was back at the beginning again and then i realized i was listening to the sermon on shuffle <laughs> and it was sad that it took me 20 minutes to figure that out but it was it was a bad experience that's how some of our meetings are you know where we it just doesn't seem to make sense. We, we, we start here in, in victory, and then we're in lament, and then we sing something about suffering, and then we're, we're, we're back in rejoicing, and then we do another lament, and it's just like, can you like, just like lead me to, to like how these thoughts fit together? Um, progression means you just don't do the same song about the same thing five times, which is, you can do, uh, but it's so much more helpful for people to think through things. Again, looking at the Psalms, that's what they do. They help us think through things. Um, start, start by looking for progression in each song. This is not a moral issue. This is more uh, teaching people to think, teaching our people to think. When we lead people in singing, we're putting words, emotions, thoughts, perspectives and responses into their mouths and it should make sense um, I read a song years I read a book years ago called and now let's move into a time of nonsense by a British author named Nick Page and he says he talks about the Dadaist poetry poets I think I have this quote in there the Dadaist poets used to practice random poetry they would cut up a book into separate words or sentences throw them in the air and paste them together how they landed Sometimes I suspect that many worship songwriters use a similar approach. Throw a load of scripture verses in the air, let them land, and then just glue them together. It's fridge magnet poetry, not really lyric writing, just rearranging verses to fit. So if, if the lines from a song that you're singing, singing can just be inter, interchanged, you know, just flipped around, that's, that's probably a good sign that it's fridge magnet lyric writing where the writer really hasn't taken time to think about why would this thought follow this thought follow this thought follow this thought. It's more like, hey, here's a good phrase. Hey, here's another good phrase. Here's a good phrase. And again, doing a song like that isn't, isn't sin. It's just if we can do songs that really help to help our people make connections, that's better. That's better. Um, factors consider when putting songs together. So we are always aware of the gospel. And when I read uh, Brian Chappell's Christ-Centered Worship back in 2007, I think, 2008, um, I really became much more aware of this. Just, it's good for people to walk through this, this flow of you know, God's greatness, awareness of our sin, assurance of our pardon in Christ, and then a response of gratefulness, consecration, just different kinds of response. So always, I'm always aware of that flow and if I'm asked to lead like at a conference or something like that and I don't have any other thing to go on that's what I'll do because uh, uh, it's you, you can't go wrong you're, you're telling people about the greatest news in the universe and you're helping them remember it and rejoice in it so it's always something that should be present in our view when we're thinking about how to choose songs doesn't mean that we're gonna start every meeting with holy 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 and then do, you know, not in me, and then do, uh, you know, before the throne of God above. It's not going to be that obvious every Sunday. But, but we do want to have that in our minds, that people need to get this, this gospel. We don't come to God on our own. We come because he's a holy God. We've sinned. Jesus has paid for all our sins, so we can come with joy. Um, the overall lyrical flow, when you think about putting songs together, think about the content flow, not just the musical flow. Musical flow isn't unimportant, but in terms of relative importance, I'd put lyrical flow as a 10 and musical flow at a 3. You can make up for musical flow. You know, uh, people say, you know, well, you know, I did these two songs, or these three songs, because they're all in the same key. So, well, did they say what you wanted them to say? Well, not really, but, but they're all in the same key. It's just not a good way to, to train people. We're, we're, we're training them to be more impressed or more moved by musical continuity than, than lyrical sense. So, so make sure your lyrics are, are making sense. Um, and one of the ways of that, uh, of thinking about that, is being aware of the last line of a song and the first line of the next song. 
especially if you do two songs together, um, that, can, that can make a difference. You know, uh, if you end with um, this, I know with all my heart his wounds have paid my ransom. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. It just, it just extends the thought. You, you just help people live in the good of that truth that they've just sung about. Um, be aware of who the song addresses. You know, does it address the Father? Does it address Jesus, the Spirit? Does it address God? Are we addressing each other? And the Psalms model changing who we're talking to. You know, sometimes the psalmist talks to God, sometimes to each other, sometimes to himself. You know, so, so there can be a place for changing that up, but, but just be aware of it. Just, just be aware of, of who the song's talking to. Emotional progression uh, is another fact to consider, factor to consider. Surrounding non-musical elements, like uh, just had a conversation with someone about, you know, when you do a baptism in the middle of singing, that, that's going to affect, like, the song leading into it and the song coming out of it. Like, what's happening after the baptism? Is it just, okay, now we're done. Oh, okay, all right. Uh, you know, just, just thinking through, what, what do we want to say right then? And that's the question we should be asking. What do we want to say right after that baptism? What would be the good first words out of our mouth? That'll help you develop a better flow, better connection. Um, corporate and individual, uh, it, it would be good for us uh, to consider how many corporate songs are we singing? Individual songs aren't bad. You know, I will declare your praise with all my heart in the midst of the congregation. All right, I'm declaring your praise. That's great. But, but we are here as a community. We are here as a church. We are here as a body. And how many songs do we sing that actually enable people to say that? So that'd be another thought. Um, songs to God and about God, um, uh, which you can be, there is something that, that, that changes when you sing a song directly to the Lord. Um, and again, the psalmists do that. They will, uh, they will just freely just move from one, you know, second person, to third person about God, about God to second person to God. Um, but I think we have to be aware that just because a song is about God, it doesn't mean that it's not going to have a great emotional impact. So a song like um, Before the Throne of God Above is third person. We're singing about God. We're singing to each other. Behold him there, the risen lamb, my perfect spotless righteousness, the great unchangeable lamb. We're not singing to him, but I never have sung that song and thought, ah, this would be so much more intimate if I was singing it to the Lord rather than about the Lord. Why? Well, I don't know why. The songs are, the truth is just so compelling. It's so great. And one of the things we're doing when we're singing is teaching and admonishing one another. So it's good to have those songs. Um, and then factors to consider when putting songs together, how much time you have. Uh, another thing that I want to know, uh, that's actually could go in the you know, starting points. Um, how much time do you really have? Uh, it matters. And I used to plan like six songs for 25 minutes, which I would never do now. Uh, we do four songs pretty much every Sunday and a scripture. And that takes 25 minutes. Sometimes it takes 30. Because why? Well, because things happen. People say stuff. People do stuff that you didn't plan. And, uh, but I do want to know how much time I have. So here, I want to know how much time we have. That's going to determine how, many, how, how I choose my songs. All right, then seven, know your diet. Let's see, how are we doing? What time do we end this? 3.30? Oh, you guys are doing great staying awake. I just want to tell you that. Everybody's doing great. Um, okay, so know your diet. All right, so here, if, if I didn't get uh, to something specifically on planning your meeting, you can do that in Q&A, which is coming up in just a few minutes. Um, know your diet. So this is talking about broadening our perspective 
so that we're not just picking a song for Sunday, but we're picking a song for our repertoire. Consider how many songs you actually sing a year. So this is the first time I finally did this. I actually counted up how many songs we sang this year. But generally speaking, 52 Sundays, say you sing five songs each Sunday. How many people sing five songs each Sunday? Okay, that's right. And how many sing more than that? All right, and how many sing less? All right, okay, so for you guys, this is even more important. Like if you sing less, this is even more important. Five songs, 52 Sundays, is 260 songs a year. That's how many songs we're singing. I'd guess that a third of those you do at least twice. So that takes it down to 173. Many of the other ones, you do more than that. Like three, four, five songs. So which gets it down to about 100 songs a year. I counted up how many songs we did last year. We sang 99 songs in the, in the past year. So that's not very many songs. <laughs> I mean, there are 99 songs being produced, like recorded and put out on CDs like every week. So that's how many I have all year. So that really raises the stakes for like what songs I'm going to do. I just want to do the best songs. You can do the best songs. Now, best doesn't mean just, just everybody loves them. Best means what is best for your church? What is best for this season, your congregation, your musicians? Yeah, let's just go for the best ones, which may, may mean that you do fewer songs more often because they're so good. So there's some songs that, you know, I think I've done like 12 times in a year or something. Um, uh, so a Getty song we just started doing was um, The Lord is My Salvation. I will not fear the something, something. You're, pull me from the raging sea. Da, 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 da. Lord is my salvation. That song is so right for, for what our sermon series is. And it's fresh. I would do it every Sunday. I don't do it every Sunday, but um, I'm tempted. Um, but I won't mind doing that song like four times over, four or five times over two months uh, because it's just so good. And it teaches people. It helps them remember these truths and, and that kind of thing. So 100 songs, that's how many you have. Consider the cumulative effect of the songs you sing over months and years. So if people didn't have the sermons, how well would they know God through the songs you sing after a year? How well would they know them? And the reality is they're probably listening to the songs more than the sermons. They're certainly remembering the songs better than the sermons. Um, no one's going out like quoting parts of the sermon, uh, you know, long parts. They might remember phrase, points, but songs, I remember the whole thing. So how, how well are our songs describing God? his word, his works, his worthiness. Think through uh, liturgical responsive categories. So in uh, Brian Chappell's book, he has seven or eight, I thought it was, um, liturgical categories. Uh, I've tried to make sure we have songs in each of these categories, and then I try and find the best songs in these categories. So adoration, you have uh, we, uh, all creatures of our God and King, Praise to the Lord, the Almighty, the King of creation. 10,000 reasons. Did I put those in there for you? Uh, yeah, okay. I gave you the ideas. Uh, confession. Um, uh, we have a song called Shining to Our Night. We are not what we should be. We haven't, thought what, haven't sought what we should seek. We've seen your glory, Lord, and turned away. It's, it's a corporate confession song. It's just beautiful. Um, Jesus, I come. That's uh, one by indelible grace. Out of my bondage into your mind. Jesus, I come. Jesus, I come. It's, it's just a great song. Assurance of pardon. Many of these. His mercy is more. Jesus, thank you. It's a sovereign grace song. Man of sorrows. Come behold the wondrous mystery. Thanksgiving. Um, you know, how do we express our gratefulness? If you're a songwriter, I think we need more songs of thanksgiving. Generous King is a sovereign grace song. Our hearts are filled with thankfulness. 
petition or lament. Um, oh God of mercy, hear our plea. That was the Sovereign Grace song on our last album. Lord, I need you. Christian's Daily Prayer, another Sovereign Grace song on our last album. How Long um, is a song by Stuart, old song by Stuart Townend. Every Sunday, uh, sh- our songs should contain some reference to the battles that we're going through. Uh, I think it was Mark Devereux who said recently, I want songs that will serve someone who just uh, broke off an engagement and someone who just got engaged the previous day. Or you could, you could heighten the stakes and say, I want songs that are going to serve both the, the couple that had a baby and the couple who had a stillborn child. Because I can guarantee you that there will be Sundays where both of those people are present in your congregation. So, so we want to think about that and have songs that we can sing on those, on those Sundays. Or every Sunday, really. Um, now, there are some Sundays where it is lament. Uh, the Sunday after Wade died, it was lament. It was, and I was glad we had songs. You know, uh, great is thy faithfulness. I think God moves in a mysterious way. It is not death to die. Um, I think come behold the wondrous mystery, which ends with resurrection. And then we ended with uh, um, a song called New Again, which is a sojourn song, which just talks to the choruses. Death is defeated and Jesus reigns. Tell the world there is hope in his name. He pushed back the darkness. I mean, it was a song of triumphant declaration that Jesus has conquered death. We could never have started with that song. You know, so it was a progression that we, we led the church through. Um, but make sure that you have enough songs that, that somewhere in them, doesn't have to be the whole song, but somewhere in them, you're acknowledging, you know what? It's hard. Things are hard. Uh, so when I find songs like that, I latch on to them. Say, yeah. When they not only acknowledge the hardship, but bring them to the hope we have in Jesus. I want both. I don't want to say, I just don't want them to say hard, hard, life's hard, 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 hard. You know, no, Jesus, is, he did something. He overcame sin. He overcame death. He overcame hell. He overcame the grave. He made sure that all our suffering has meaning and purpose. So, so that's the lament petition category. Um, instruction, you know, songs that are more creedal. This I Believe by Hillsong. Um, Reformation song we sang this morning. Um, consecration. I don't think we have enough songs like this that enable us to um, express our desire to give our lives away to the Lord in a way that's rooted in the gospel. So that's what happens at the end of Oh Great God. Um, help me now to live a life that's dependent on your grace. Keep my heart and guard my soul from the evils that I face. So it's, I, that's what I, I want to live a life dependent on your grace. Um, and then the end of all I have is Christ. Um, now, Lord, I would be yours alone and live so all might see the strength to follow your commands could never come from me. Oh, Father, use my ransom life in any way you choose. See, it's that, it's that combination of it's a ransom life. Use me in any way you choose. Another song would be uh, Take My Life and Let It Be, Consecrated Lord to Thee, which doesn't have that same grace foundation, but it's a beautiful song, and we'll often do that one too. Um, communion, fellowship. Mercy by Matt Redmond's beautiful. Jesus paid it all. We hunger and thirst. We sang that this morning. So just, just be looking at those categories and thinking, how can I fill this out? How can I, where, where do I need, where do we need more songs? Maybe we need, where do we need a song? You know, sometimes we don't even get that far. Just get a song in that category. And then finally, know your congregation. Um, don't just think about songs. Think about people. I've been in context or seen context where the band does a great job, great arrangement. They have a great time and like only a third of the people are singing. That's not our goal. That, that's not what we're seeking to do. Um, 
I've, I've seen people lead great songs that aren't necessarily addressing some of the issues that people are struggling with in the congregation. So you, you could have a great group of songs, doesn't serve the people you're leading. A song can be popular, but not necessarily good for your congregation. That's, that's a category you want to have. Otherwise, you'll, your choices for songs will be ruled by public opinion. And our choices shouldn't be ruled by public opinion. Um, and we want to be aware of the presence of guests, new Christians, unbelievers. Like, not that every song has to be geared towards them, but just be aware they're there. And so maybe you, you will repeat a chorus or repeat a verse or uh, explain something or maybe do a simpler song because you know those people are there. Some questions to ask in terms of knowing your congregation. How well do people know each song? So, so this morning, uh, when we did We Hunger and Thirst, we were picking between that and the Gettys' Behold the Lamb. It's a beautiful song. Behold the Lamb who washed my sins away, slain for us. Da, 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 da. And as we looked at the lyrics, this is all going on while um, Tony's talking. Um, you know, it just seemed like We Hunger and Thirst had more connections talked about the feast that's coming, how we long and hunger for that feast, and, um, and could fit better in a non-communion time. So the next question I asked was, yeah, but people probably won't know this song as well. Some people might know it, uh, but someone, but then I thought, and this is Dev and I having a conversation over text, uh, and I'm getting a phone call right now. Um, uh, but the melody wasn't so hard that we didn't think people could pick it up. So, so we ended up going with that. Why? Because we thought the content drove it more. Um, I hardly ever would recommend you begin a song, begin a meeting with a song that people don't know. Um, you want them to start singing. I mean, everybody's not going to know it. But we try to begin with a song that most people will know. Could be a hymn, could be a popular song, you know, just across the body of Christ. Could be a really well-known Sovereign Grace song. I can't do that every single Sunday, but, but I try because I'm, that's, a, that's a category for me. How well are people gonna know this song? Um, don't normally like doing a song that people don't know after the message either, <laughs> although we did that this morning. Um, how diverse is your congregation? So keeping that in mind, how mature is the congregation? Uh, a church plant is going to be a different catalog of songs than a 30-year-old church. So we've been in six plants in the church plant, six years in the church plant, and uh, our repertoire is, is becoming more solidified now, whereas the church plant was just kind of all over the map. I, just, I, I was trying to find out what's the center here. You know, every song's a new song, you know. It's so much harder coming from a place where you've been leading for 15 years. Everybody knows the songs, or at least you think they, you think they do, um, to a place where you don't know if anybody knows the songs. Um, and so rather than just say, okay, we're just going to do songs everybody knows, we made sure to include, include like two of those every Sunday and then did three songs that we wanted to teach them. We wanted them to learn. And, and we kept repeating those. So over time, you develop a repertoire for your church. Um, just remember the power of God changed people's in the gospel, not our song choices. Okay, well, let me pray. Father, thank you for this time. Uh, pray it bears good fruit. I pray that you uh, use what I guess I've talked about here uh, to encourage our souls to help us better serve our people. And uh, it's all for your glory. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.